Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Ultimate Lifestyle Show with me, Naomi Eistead. And today I've got a very inspiring guest joining us all the way from Los Angeles, the notable and celebrated LA Hollywood film and TV producer, Cindy Cowan. Thank you so much for joining me, Cindy. Welcome to the show. How's everything in LA? Los Angeles is strangely opening up maybe a little too soon, but um, yeah, we were, I mean, look, we were locked down more than the rest of America. I think Los Angeles had it the worst, but when they came out, they decided they're totally coming out. So um, everything is open. Is um, it? Oh, wow. Concerts have started, restaurants inside, outside, um, every, everything is open. Oh my goodness. That's how I feel about it. I've got a, you know, yeah. I, I'm, yeah, I'm still a little cautious. Yeah, I, I know exactly how you feel because prior to the pandemic, I would be traveling probably every six weeks. And so all of a sudden to go from that to anti-back everything, wearing masks, thinking about, I don't go on public transport. I haven't been socializing. To go from that to suddenly jump back into life is like actually quite surreal. Strange, right? Yeah. It's really I weird. Think, I think we've all decided that we're okay staying home. Yeah, and I know. More than we thought we could, and we don't yeah. need to be as social as we thought we did. And I don't know. I think we've I, all gone through our changes. I, I definitely think so. And so, for you being such a successful producer in, and we'll talk about your bio. I feel like I need to read it for our listeners. Um, so, for anyone, if that's okay, Cindy, yeah, because. Sure. It really is inspiring, and that's what we're here to talk about, inspiring, empowering people and, and tactics to just get ahead in life. So Cindy is actually an award-winning film producer with Emmy nominations for Rent-A-Kid and If These Walls Could Talk um, and the coveted United Nations Award for Saviour. I mean, oh my goodness, that's amazing. But this is really like... <laughs> Emmy winner. Emmy winner. Emmy winner. And that, this is the first line of um, Cindy's bio, guys. We could go on for hours here, but she's financed the film Traffic, which went to win four Oscars. I mean, oh my goodness. You've got loads of up and coming projects, which we'll talk about later on. You've worked on TV, film, music. I mean, where do we start, Cindy? Talk to me. How did it all begin? Where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Florida and um, in Miami. It was a, I, I had a lovely upbringing. I went to school for psychology. It was not meant to be in film. Oh, what? Um, I took the infamous year off that you're never supposed to take after um, <laughs> I got a degree at Harvard. I went to graduate school and meant to go and get a PhD. I took the year off because I fell in love with a musician and I needed to work at night and didn't want to be in school anymore. Got a job with CBS in news. And they kept promoting me. And that started my kind of infatuation with production. Um, stayed in news for a couple of years and actually retired over a story and a case in, in the United States that was quite big. Yeah. There was a little boy that was um, shopping with his mom at, um, at a store called Sears. And he, the mom put him in, a, in an aisle to play with toys while she continued her shopping. And the little boy got kidnapped and ultimately decapitated. It was absolutely oh. They never found that killer. The father oh worked for my father's hotel. Um, and so at C when I worked at CBS, they knew I knew where to find him. And they wanted me to show up at the house, pay yeah. my respects, and cover the story. Yeah. And I, I would do that. It was yeah. too soon. 
for the family, something I, I agree with. Um, that father went on to start a show, I don't know if it, if it airs in England, called America's Most Wanted. Yes, it, it does. Yes, it does. Yeah, it does. So that was the father of this little boy. And that mm -hmm. changed my career because I got out of news, became yeah. a songwriter by accident, actually wrote, my first song was with a very big artist in London named Sunita. And, no way! Um, I know Sunita! Yeah. That was oh, my first song. <laughs> that's my world. Oh my goodness. Usually it was, um, I think it was Simon Cowell's first album as well. So okay. Cowell and I came up together. Sunita took two songs of mine. And then I went into singing or a music career where I was a songwriter for the likes of Engelbert Humperdinck and a very big group here named Shalimar with Howard Hewitt. Oh my goodness. I started meeting all these different people in the film business and, um, I kind of was a runaway bride. I was meant to get it married in Florida, um, but I was out of LA and I knew I just didn't want to go back. And so yeah. um, I took a job in the film industry and then kind of climbed my way up. Oh my so, goodness. Yeah, so that, that is so interesting because it's not the conventional not like conventional. story. No, not at all. It's not the conventional story of a, you know, you started out studying, you know, media or creative or film, and then you're struggling for years. It seems like for you, actually, maybe the basis of psychology helped you understand the world of, uh, you know, production and film and visualizing and storytelling, because I think all um, news and film is it's storytelling in different ways, in different facets. So maybe do you feel that like your psychology background actually helps you kind of utilize that? Yeah, I felt the psychology background did help somewhat. I was the first female distributor ever. There had never been a female distributor. Um, and I kind of, when I came to the film business, I just said, I want to do that. And I want to do that. And I want to do that. And um, I think because I had gone to a very prestigious graduate school and a lot of people hadn't, I was smart enough at the time, way back when, to say, well, Miramax and New Line are the only independent film companies right now. And they're about to be swallowed by Disney and Turner. And then the studios at the time, it's funny how different it was, 10 million and over meant you were a studio film and three million and under meant you were an independent film. I kind of said, well, who are these people in the middle? Why is nobody making these five to $7 million movies? Yeah. And why can't I do that? And so everybody told me I was gonna fall flat on my butt and I didn't, I just said, I wanna be, there's nobody in this space, so I'm gonna do it. And um, it worked, it was- I love you know, that. I, I just love a woman that has a vision, has a plan and goes for it. And uh, against convention, because obviously you started out with psychology, you were kind of going to be, you know, you'd have thought maybe based in Florida. And then it's just, you've just had like, no, I want to do this. I want to do that. And I kind of think, do you know what? It is so important not to put barriers on yourself and not to feel like, uh, oh, I'm, you know, I'm too, I'm too short or I'm too old or I'm not intelligent enough forget that, you know, I do trust and I do believe that the universe, I don't know if you believe in like the universe or if you meditate or anything, yeah. but, but I truly believe the power of the mind. If you believe I can do it. And I tell my kids that all the time, you know, if they say to me something that anyone else would think is totally random, I'll say, listen, if you want to do it, dedicate yourself to it, be passionate, go out there and get it, <laughs> you know? So I love that. The hardest thing is the older we get, the more barriers we put on ourselves. Yeah, that's right. The so more true. we know, the more afraid we get. The more you know, the more you know 
wait, I shouldn't be doing this. And then we start second guessing ourselves. So if you have younger listeners out there, before you get the barriers that we have, just go. Uh, you know, I, the older we get, the more afraid we get for whatever, yeah. you know. Yeah, you're so right. And I think it's also like rewiring your thinking because if you do, you know, you can be so successful for a while and then you might have a knock and you could have a big knock. And a lot of successful people do have that where they go through a period of big knocks or rejections, you know, and and it's whether you've got that within you to trust yourself and trust the universe or God or whatever you want to call it and go, do you know what? I can rebuild, I can reinvent, I can do it again. And I think the media world and the showbiz industry, you have to be able to reinvent your mind. You have to be jumped. Things change. Look at the social media. I mean, it's gone from, you know, with music, for example, it's gone from conventional like records then to CDs. And then now it's all online and it's all digital. Um, And TV and film is all adapting. It's constantly evolving. And so I think, you know, you... You have to, as a creative person, if you want to be successful, you need to know how to evolve. And obviously with you, it sounds like you just were like, okay, I'm doing it all and I'm going to get it. And you did. I did. I got lucky. I mean, so tell me, how do you think, do you, how do you think that happened? Is it, would you say it's hard work? Do you think it's discipline? Do you have like, because we talk about, like I talk about it on my Instagram, millionaire mindset, like having traits of kind of discipline. I mean, I'm quite strict with my kids and I'm like, no, do it. You're going to do it. You, and, and I think discipline's quite good because I think it does train your mind as well to like be healthy, get up early. I mean, most successful people are up early five o'clock every day without fail whether they've got a hangover if they drink or if they don't drink you know i actually don't so i i I don't get up that early because i find that i'm most creative at night so (laughs) when everybody else is asleep that's when i go into overdrive so when i used to write songs or when i'm the best at reading scripts or best at doing notes it's at night um why it worked i don't know look i people say do you think it's luck or do you think it's drive and i think it's a mixture of both i am less to say I'm one of the luckiest people I know and I acknowledge that it's also hard work it's also um you know just knowing you know if you when I was starting in the business and there wasn't many females I had to be the best one in the room I you know it's the good thing about being a girl all the doors open I don't care what people say they're like oh it's so hard and no one's going to take your meeting no they're all going to take your meeting yeah you're a girl. They might yeah. not take the meeting for the reasons you wanted them to. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> now you've got to be the smart one in the room. Now you've yeah. got to be able to stay in the room once that door is open. And so, you know, that was it. But I've always had a way of speaking to people and I listen. A lot of people don't listen. They're too busy trying to think what they're going to say next. Yeah. So if you listen and you answer and then you go learn, um, you'll make it. You really will. It's yeah. just those simple things. Listen, you know, um, know your craft. Um, yeah. Be willing to learn anything you don't know. I mean, I, there's so many people that think they know it all. You know, yeah. how many people do we know? They think they know it all. You don't know it all. None of us know it all. So be curious, be adventurous, be willing to learn. Read knowledge is power i really do think that knowledge is power and i think it's so important like even i'm 42 now and i think i'm always trying to relearn restudy i'm always studying i'm not embarrassed to put my hands up and go i'm still i'm studying something else i'm studying again because i think 
I think it's brilliant because the mind is incredible. And if you, you, and again, if you're in that world, you know, if you're in the showbiz industry or the film world or whatever sector you're in, if you, if you gain new knowledge, you can cultivate that in different ways that you least expect it, you know, it's really exciting. So do you have like over all the years, do you have like the ultimate favorite project that you've ever worked on that you think, God, that was amazing. Um, I have a project that's coming next that is going to be, my career is taking me into an, into an area that I'm super excited about, um, which I'll tell you about. Um, I think the most fun movie I had to work on that um, I still to this day am really proud of was this very weird movie called Very Bad Things. Um, for anybody who's seen it, we were, we were the hangover before the hangover. We were all those movies that copied us afterwards. And, you know, this was a movie that nobody wanted. I knew Peter Berg, who went on to become an amazing director. I gave him his first directorial. And, you know, it was a very warped movie. You either loved it or hated it. Um, I found that most real directors and actors reached out to me like crazy after that movie because it was so ahead of its time. And Peter and I just called on all of our friends. So we had this amazing cast of Cameron Diaz and John Favreau and Jeremy Piven and Christian Slater and Daniel Stern and... Um, I mean, it was just, it was so much fun to shoot. Um, and because nobody thought we'd ever make that movie, it's one of the ones I'm most proud of. Um, but it's not for everybody. It's oh a very goodness. fun movie. Maybe that's got to be on my, that's got to be on my watch list tonight then. <laughs> you would say, you know, it's Friday night. With everybody. <laughs> yes, Friday night in the UK, in my watch list. So in contrast, has there been a project that you've thought, oh my goodness, this is so challenging. This is like really tough. I mean, you know, because obviously it's a tough so, industry. Traffic was around for 11 years. So, you know, people think these movies happen overnight. They don't. It was around for 11 years. And, um, and then it had various incarnations of leads. I think Tommy Lee Jones was attached. And then Nicolas Cage was attached. And, you know, before it finally ended up with Michael Douglas. And the budget was, at, you know, at one point, you know, incredibly higher. And then it went incredibly lower. And, and then even when we were making it, my partner just thought, what have you done? This movie's awful. He hated it. Oh uh, and then when we went to go sell it, nobody had seen a movie like Traffic. But, you know, the result was four Oscars later. Sometimes it's good to be the movie that no one's seen before. But it yeah. was challenging. There was a lot of people who just didn't understand it and didn't think it should get made. Oh, my gosh. And do you ever, so after a big project like that, do you ever actually take you time? Like, do you have time off where you go, or is your brain just constantly thinking, creative? So it's interesting. After the movie Traffic, I actually retired for six years. So wow. I really took time off. Um, oh my what I realized was I had either bought, financed, or produced um, 25 movies in five years. And I was, luckily, my boyfriend at the time was also in the film business, but our vacations started to become the Cannes Film Festival or Sundance and things that weren't really vacations. They were markets. Yeah. Uh, and so there was at one point that he said, I'm done. You know, mm. it's either me or the company. Mm. But he worked for his company and I owned my company. You can't just quit overnight. No. Um, so we ultimately broke up and he was right. I... I needed to step back, but I needed to sell the company um, first and then just become a girl again. The one yeah. thing bad about this business is it's a hard business. Mm -hmm. It's hard to pick up 
and go away and be on a set for two or three months. And it's a very male dominated business. And, um, you know, ultimately I'm a Southern girl and I wanted Southern roots. And so I really stepped back and, you know, the bad thing for me when I stepped back was though, I tried to dumb down and go to girls lunches and talk about <laughs> manicures and pedicures and things like that. And not tell people that I'd gone to Harvard or that I had bought and sold a company. And so that was challenging too, because I realized after six years, I wasn't living authentically. And so I came back into the business. Yeah, so it's, it's a balance. It, it, it is a balance because I do think that when you're a successful woman within the media world, in whatever way, you've got to have some backbone, some serious backbone. And to then suddenly be in the dynamic of girly girls. I mean, I've, I, I've had this for years where I'm like, I don't really fit in here. <laughs> I'm, you know, like I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually too rude or I'm too, I'm too direct. People can't handle it, you know, um, and this is just me being honest and a lot of my friends will listen to the show. Um, and I love all my girly girlfriends, but it, it, it is a weird dynamic when you're a very driven woman and you're, you, you make decisions, you're, you know, like ball busting really, like really a force to be reckoned with. And then you're in a different dynamic where people are talking about, yes, don't get me wrong. I have hair extensions. I get my nails done, but right. I don't really talk about it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like conversations about making money and like, <laughs> what's the next project? I mean, creative ideas. So that, that is a very interesting uh, psychology as well. Yeah because it's kind of like and then it's finding your authentic code or whatever you want to call it you know your authentic self-image because you know sometimes you can feel like when you are in a situation however successful you come you can have that feeling of the fear of missing out like oh but if i was just not having to work as hard and having time with my family and friends at weekend and you know before you know it that if you're very driven become could come very boring and and it you know it is a difficult it is a very difficult balance and it's also you know finding family or partners that also understand their life you know the lifestyle in the industry because there is no downtime there really isn't And, and, and it actually takes a big person to say no I'm on holiday I'm not answering my phone I'm not answering my emails and Cindy when you've owned and built a company like yours how do you go on holiday and switch off? You can't. I mean, how did you, know, you do that? I made it now that when I came back in the business this go round, weekends are mine. Yeah. Um, I try to make weekends mine. And if I go away, I do disconnect. The old me would not have done that. The old yeah. me is, if I don't do it, it's not getting done. And yeah. I don't know how to do this right. And I have to be accessible to everybody. And yeah. you know what the truth of the matter is? No, we don't. No. And yes, you can disconnect. Things will wait. Nothing's yeah. going to disappear. And if it does, it's not meant for you anyways. And you learn how to delegate and you start realizing, wait, I didn't have to do all this after all, you know, yeah, and I think that's part of growing. And, and, um, I, so now I, when I disconnect, I do disconnect, but when I'm on, I'm on and it's a pain. And sometimes I feel bad for the people around me. And the bad <laughs> thing is shooting, you can't disconnect. I mean, yeah. there's always a crisis on a film mm-hmm. set always. So, um, it's challenging. It's challenging, especially to men trying to date women in this industry. I think definitely and so how do you disconnect like what do you do to relax and switch off and wind down um well prior to covid i would try to go and leave and go to two different countries a year 
and go sometimes for at least a month. That is my disconnect. Yeah. Um, I very much like the beach. I like the ocean. I like nature. So my disconnecting is put me near water, you know, mm. let me really disconnect. So I'll go to Bali or I'll go, you know, I go to the other side of the world where nobody can really find me and the time differences screw everybody up. And, okay. um, and that's my disconnect time. And, um, and then I read a lot. Um, you know, I, if I'm home, I can, I'm one of those people that as active as I am and as social as I am, I can also be that unactive and unsocial. You yeah. could literally, I could entertain myself in my bedroom all day long. I could read, be reading books. I could yeah. do anything. I mean, I'm just weirdly dichotomous where yeah. um, I'm really happy both ways. I, 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 I'm always curious with people that can't be alone or mm. always have people around them. Those people worry me a little bit. Um, I think you have to really love yourself and I do. I know. I say to, I say so much. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm so anti I love to socialize, but I'm so antisocial because I need me time. Stay away. Okay. You've been around me too long. Give me distance. Give me space. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it made that even more magnified for all of us. Yeah, I definitely think so. So is there a, is there a book, a favorite book that you're reading at the moment that, um, that you're really into? No, now I'm reading a lot of scripts again. Um, we're behind in my reading. So unfortunately, one after another, although I am reading a, a lot of books on that. There's a movie I'm looking at right now having to do with um, John Lennon and how he had a hard time getting his green card coming to America because President Nixon at the time made it his mission to keep this man out. Oh my God. Um, and it was something I never knew about. And so there's three books on this, something I never knew about. So I'm going into the deep dive of learning everything about this, that, you know, something that none of us knew about at the time. And to think that a president made it his mission to keep just one man out. And the reason being was because John Lennon was so against the Vietnam War and mm. was so in with the Chicago Seven and different mm. people that were very much protesters and anti everything, not, not unlike today, that Nixon just thought he was a problem and needed to be kept out. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that's kind of that fun. That is a story that I've actually never heard about John right? Lennon. That yeah. really is intriguing. So it, are you going, are you actually, have you taken on this project or is it one I that you want to take this project on? Yeah, I really am. It's interesting because I, what I didn't realize also is this little lawyer, little Orthodox Jewish lawyer decided when he found out what was happening to sue the president of the United States and the FBI. It was oh the first goodness. case ever, and he won. Um, and because of him winning this case, when President Obama came to office here, he started something called the Dreamers or the DACA program, which mm. is that these children of immigrants that are born in the United States should always be allowed to stay in the United States and not be sent back. And um, that's something that the last administration, the Trump administration was trying to stop and send all these poor kids back. And um, so now I'm fascinated with this whole thing and how it tied into these presidents. And yeah, it's kind of crazy. See, that's the intriguing element of film that people wouldn't even think about. Yeah. You're, you're in, in a sense, you're learning about some, a whole new Absolutely. world and story of, of reality, of what's happened in the world. And that, I think, is, you know, what's intriguing about your career and your role and that, you know, every day will be different. There's yeah. going to, you know, you're learning something new all the time. Right. And, and the genres, you work across so many genres as well. I, 
so many genres in film, but also working in television, I mean, and music, obviously songwriting. So, I mean, do you have uh, like a, would I say safety blanket, a preference of like, you know, oh, I think I'll do TV for a while or, or do you just mix it up and you're like, okay, I'm film, I'm TV, I'm writing music or well, do you- We're starting to mix it up even more because the film business has gotten harder than it's ever yeah. been. Um, people think that we need more and more and more content and that these streaming platforms have made it amazing for producers. They actually haven't. Yeah. They've made it harder for us. The, the problem being when you sell to a streamer, there's no backend. So you basically become a work for hire. And um, they've gotten so difficult of, you better have the A-est of A-list actor and the, and the, the A-est of A-list directors to go to the streamers. We're used to be able to put anything on Netflix or Amazon, now you can't. The, the biggest problem for me is I work a lot with Sony and with the studios. There's no actors available anymore. So where it used to be that an actor would like to do a theatrical movie, because that's what you, you know, your goal was and what you attained to do, now they don't. Now they want to do a Netflix project because the Netflix series might pay the same as my theatrical series. I mean, they get nine episodes of that. So there's a safety net for them. They don't have to worry about the movie bombing at the box office, in which case their career gets hurt because it just plays and nobody cares. And so those of us that are in the theatrical world are finding it like there's no actors available. Oh my goodness. Uh, so well, it's gotten much harder. And then people are really overpaying the actors you know, the small group of actors that are wanted are mm. being grossly overpaid. Um, and then we also got this thing about the diversity in Hollywood, which I understand and inclusion is necessary and we do need to address some of the diversity issues, but some of it is going too far the other way mm. where if, you know, like the Oscars, I think said that if you don't have X amount of diversity in your movie, you can no longer get nominated for an Oscar. Well, what would have happened with Schindler's List? What, yeah. what happens with these amazing movies? Yeah. Schindler's List is one of my favorite films. Does yeah. that mean I can't get nominated for an Oscar? Yeah, I'm, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think at the end of the day, the film should be based on true life. And true life is, you know, it is diverse, but it might be um, diverse in different ways. Absolutely. So, so, I mean, so it, shouldn't be, it shouldn't be forced, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, some of our favorite movies from The Godfather on up wouldn't be up for Oscars um, because of the new requirements. Oh my goodness. So if you've got like an Italian mobster film, it just wouldn't fit the criteria. That, that's really, really sad. But Asians or African-Americans or Mexicans in a movie that's based on real life, if it's about the Italian mob yeah. or the Irish mob, yeah. or in Schindler's case, you know, a Jewish Holocaust, yeah. how do you make that diverse? You can't put these people in it. Goodness me. So this is the interesting thing. All these different elements, even the fact that you can't get actors, from us here in the UK, you know, I wouldn't, you just wouldn't think any of these things. You just yeah. think Hollywood is going on as it always has done. Maybe it's had a bit of a the pandemic. It's hard to get, you know, it's hard to get things on set. It's slowing things down. I mean, is that also happening? Has the pandemic kind of had a knock-on effect on production schedules? Pandemic has also kind of wrecked things. So like I was meant to be shooting a movie three different times last year a Sony film. We actually were starting in the UK, which I was so excited. It would have been my first time shooting in London and um, COVID broke out. You guys went into lockdown and 
we quickly scrambled and were moved to South Africa. And then the variant happened. And so we quickly scrambled and said, let's try to shoot this in Thailand. By the way, this whole movie is a true story about Chicago. So I was scrambling to try to create. And then Thailand just became, you know, unachievable. Thailand had this really crazy lockdown. You know, mm -hmm. if I need an actor in a movie for, for one week only, you had to quarantine for two weeks in, in Thailand and then two weeks in the UK. So this poor actor for five day role was now having to give up six weeks of his life and I couldn't afford to pay all these actors to, you know for the all this downtime so we came to a standstill and we won't pick up again until January so um for me in the studio world we have not worked now for going on a year and a half um which has been really scary we're about to pick up but you know what it forced me to start looking at reality, which I never would have done before. So mm -hmm. now we've got two reality shows that we're doing. Um, I'm getting into um, the first blockchain company that will be financing films. They will be smaller movies, three million and under, but they're thinking they're gonna revolutionize the business through blockchain and cryptocurrency. Oh, right. Interesting if it works. Um, you know, we'll see. It's taking me into this whole new world I'd never even heard or knew about of like yeah. NFT. Do you know what these things are, NFTs? No. no. NFTs are the new hot thing. It's taking art and digitizing it to a one-of-a-kind piece that people are then bidding on and paying in the millions for. Oh um, so I can go to a set as a producer that might not make any back end, but I might be able to convince, let's say I was lucky enough to have Batman, I might mm. be able to convince that actor or we could digitize that suit mm. and kind of animated and it lives only in the digital world um it's strange to me because you can't hang it on your wall and it's, strange. and it's literally on your phone and your laptop on your computer i guess you can project it but if you pull them up they're selling i think the the highest sales so far was 69 million 69 million. Oh my goodness. What, now you've said that, you're, I think, Milan Breton. I don't know if you know the designer. Oh, he's a friend of mine. Do you know him? Very oh my well. God, he's a friend of mine as well. Come on, you interviewed me today. I'll go, oh my God. Oh my tell him you've been on tell him you've been with well, we've been zooming today because yeah. he's gonna come on the show as well. I always get to show Milan before he ever went on um what was that show he was on that he became uh, famous on the Heidi Klum show? Yeah. What's that called? Yes. Anyways, oh my Milan God. and I uh, met God years ago before he made it. And he's such a sweetheart. He's such a sweetheart. Um, and I was going to say, I think Milan has done a piece that is exactly that. So I think he's done sort of some sort of collaboration and it might be for Christie's or Sotheby's in the UK because he's the only person that sent me something along those lines that I kind of grasp what you're talking about. So I think speak to him because he may have actually created one yeah. of these. <laughs> How bizarre, what a small world. This is right? what I love. This is what I think this pandemic has also made us realize is that, do you know what, especially whatever world you're in, whether it's trading, whether it's property, whether it's the showbiz industry, TV world, the, the world is very small. Yeah. And, and actually you can do a lot from, you know, you could be in the middle of the north of Scotland and be working with yourself in LA and be doing something in Shanghai as well, all at the same time. And that, 
that is incredible. I mean, that's, that's what I find exciting as well. I think, you know, if your mind is open to possibilities and not actually the opposite, suppressing a negative, the doors can open endlessly and you, you, like, like you're saying you're you're adjusting and adapting to the industry so i think i, th I think that's a really important thing so before um we go because this has been so interesting who inspires you do you have anyone that you think really inspires you oh god i yeah you know i think a lot of people inspire me i think my biggest inspiration passed away earlier this year it was a supreme court judge we had named Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I'm yeah. lucky enough that my life has let me meet most of my idols. I, I have this crazy life and I feel like I know almost everybody. Mm -hmm. um, she was on my bucket list of one of the people that I just wanted to have a meal with. Um, so she, yeah, I'd say her. And I'm very inspired by Angelina Jolie. Her and I worked together so long ago. She wouldn't remember, it was one of my first films ever, but um, I admire everything that she's done, how she works with the United Nations, what she's done for children. I admire that she's got a voice and, you know, she's not just a pretty face. I agree. Um, yeah, I think she's fascinating. I, I think, uh, you know, personalities like Angelina are inspiring. This is what we need to see more women like this that are doing things. And I, you know, I believe in a lot of philanthropy and you do too. So talk to me before we sort of close our chat. Talk to me a little bit about your, um, the different sort of charities that you like to work with and giving back philanthropy as a yeah. whole. Thing. Philanthropy has always been a huge part of my life. It's, it's sad. This is the first year I haven't gone to ask people for anything. And I feel like I can't, you know, mm. a lot of people yeah. haven't made time this year. Things aren't normal, but, um, and I think the charities that will come out of me post COVID will be different than what I've done in the past. So in the past, I've, I've been very into children's causes. My number one charity was something called little kids rock. And what we did was we, gave musical instruments to inner city children. We started them, if we could, as early as kindergarten, followed them all the way until they graduated high school. But when they were given an instrument, they had to stay in music school five days a week after regular school let out. There was many reasons we did this. We were able to monitor their drug use, their possibility of them, their gang affiliations. We also helped their right and left brain thinking. We were able to, we found that their scores in school went up and their interpersonal relationships went up. And most of our students went on to go to college where a lot of them didn't. So we actually got into, God, I can't remember. I think when I last checked, we were in 48 states and we have over 500,000 kids in the program. And every child is specifically noted. They would say, Noam, you got this guitar on this date. And if you even miss you know, X amount of weeks and there's no rationale for it we take it away and give it to another student that's more deserving of it so i really like that on the flip side um, i'm fascinated with a charity called we care solar there's a woman named lawrence satchel who um, was an OBGYN doctor and while she was delivering a baby one day her back went out and she was told she would never deliver again and so she decided to take a year off and she went and did doctors without borders in i think she was in ghana or one of those countries and what she discovered was that darkness meant death, that nobody could operate at night because a lot of these places don't have electricity. So her husband back in the United States was doing solar panels and together they created the solar suitcase, which for as little as $5,000, you can buy a suitcase, which will light up an operating room for over three years. And so uh, I, that was very big on that because for $5,000, 
you just saved uh, yeah. many lives. And so, exactly. and then I was involved with um, Grassroots Soccer, which is an AIDS-related charity out of Africa, where mm -hmm. AIDS is so rampant. But going forward, um, I think, it, at least in the United States, we have a huge homeless population growing, mm -hmm. and it's really getting out of control. Mm -hmm. So I think going forward, um, that's an area that I hadn't tackled, and mm -hmm. an area that I am 100% getting into next. Yeah, I think, you know, if you've got philanthropy in your heart and you see any sort of community or lifestyle that's affected, it affects you and you'll think, well, you know, you're doing, you're so good at what you do and you probably go away and think, I need to help. I need to do something to help. During COVID, um, I didn't want to do active charity per se, but what I do is, and I've started so many of my friends doing this, I go to the grocery store, I buy at least once a month Mm -hmm. um, they sell these platters of like eight pieces of chicken and I try to get 50 to hundred of them and bottles of water. And I just go and deliver them to the homeless. Cause there's so many in Los Angeles. A lot of my guy friends, like it's dangerous. You have to stop doing this. Please don't do this. You're going to get hurt. But you know, I don't get out of my car. I roll the window down. You can yeah. tell if they're drugged out or they're not normal. And most of them want to tell you their story. You know, they're so thankful and God forbid I was ever in the street. I, it's all about paying forward. You know, I would hope somebody would do that for me. Yeah. yeah I don't understand how people can just walk past them as if they're like garbage. They're not, they're humans. It could happen to any of us. No, it's heartbreaking. It's absolutely hard. You guys have a homeless population there? We it's not that bad so when I've because I've spent a lot of time in America and every time I've been to America I've been very aware of the homeless you know you especially like I've seen it in Miami um and because obviously it's quite warm I think maybe you'll find more homeless people in areas like Miami and Florida and California because it's not the same as being maybe in New York in the freezing cold so it's kind of like they'll they'll navigate to those sort of warmer climates um but it's heartbreaking it's absolutely heartbreaking California has gotten absolutely unbelievable where a lot of people are moving because California is so inclusive and so welcoming and so where a lot of the states in America are saying uh-uh we're not tolerating homeless here. California now I'm actually thinking about moving for the first time and California is my home it's a place I love I never thought I would leave it you know I love my house I love my friends here and mm. it's it's you know everybody's so worried about moving them but there's some people like venice beach um which used to be a hot spot and you know all my friends used to, you can't go to venice beach anymore it's all homeless you'd exactly. be terrified yeah do you know what i did notice that when we were in la the last trip in la uh was the year before the pandemic started in 2019 and I did notice Venice Beach. I felt a little bit, I mean, I was with my husband and we were like, we were filming, but I felt, I did feel, oh, I'm not sure if I want to hang around here. Let's get back to these different areas. And I feel bad for that, but at the same time, you know, it didn't feel as safe as it had done way back when I was in Cali years ago, you know. It, it felt like a whole different vibe altogether. And I was like, not really feeling, com not really feeling this, um, which yeah. is sad, which is so sad because it's such a, you know, there is such a problem with COVID. Sad. And I think so many people lost, you know, everything in this pandemic. I mean, we're one of the lucky ones. I know, we really, really are. Um, and finally, before we go, what projects have you got coming up that we can look out for? And then we can do another chat and another yeah, podcast. Right? When your next film or TV show launches, we can talk about yeah. it. 
Um, God, there's three that we're going to be shooting, actually possibly four soon. Uh, my next one is the movie that kept getting shut down. It is a horror movie um, for Screen Gems based on a real story, which was the first exorcism ever broadcast live on TV in the 70s. And what, yeah, I never even knew this. Poltergeist pre-Amityville Horror. The only ghost that was known out there was Casper the Friendly Ghost. Um, nobody even realized that you can't exercise ghosts. So it was the first haunted house probably on record in America. And what happened to this family after this exorcism was broadcast live on TV and it's not good. So that movie goes next. And then I follow it with something that's a lot of fun, which is loosely based on the group InSync, which was a very big boy band in America. Oh, I love InSync. And it's a really fun story, true story also about two girls that were in college and their freshman year of college, they realized that Justin Timberlake was on tour and they didn't want to be in school anymore. So one called her mom and said, I'm dropping out. The mom said, if you drop out, I'm cutting you off. And the girls decided they would go on this game show called The Price is Right. And they would keep going on it until they won the RV, in which case they'd have, a wheel, they'd have wheels and a bus and they could follow the group around. And they did it. It's the highest price payout in Price is Right history. And the girls, um, in sync ended up giving them concert tickets so it's almost famous meets girls trip we're yeah. aging it up you know kind of tina fey amy schumer um, and that's a very big um tri-star movie and then i go into this huge action movie um about helicopter cops and how they're solving crimes quicker than anybody and um that'll be an la-based thank god project that i get to stay home for a while but huge movie and then um I'll have some other music-based announcements with TriStar coming soon. Amazing. Oh, I love hearing these good stories. Um, so, Cindy, thank you so much for joining me today. Where can oh, our listeners find you? Yeah. Where can they connect with you? Um, I, yeah, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Cindy, C-I-N-D-Y, C-O-W-A-N as Nancy, the number 1,000. Cindy Cowan 1000. I'm also on Facebook just under my name, Cindy Cowan. And my website, should anybody want to see what I'm up to, is um, Cowan Entertainment, CowanEntEnt.com. Amazing. When am I going to see you in the UK? When are you going to be? Know, believe me, I want to come. Um, when you guys lift everything, and I know I don't have to be quarantined. And all I know. That stuff, we'll right? Lunch with Milan. <laughs> I know. We have to tell him. We'll have to take a. Uh, our screenshot and send it to them. <laughs> oh, we need to. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll get a screenshot. Actually, let me do that now. But yeah, it's been brilliant chatting with you. And uh, I'm getting you back on the show. You know, every time you're launching a new film, join me. Let's chat. Um, and I can't wait to. I'm, I'm going to watch that film that you were telling me. I'm going to look for it tonight. <laughs> okay, you got it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um,